0: Hey, welcome to Cross Creek On Demand. We are so glad you are here. My name's John, I'm the lead pastor. We created Cross Creek to be a church for people who don't normally go to church. And so we've designed our Sunday environment, including our online environment, to be a safe place where people can discover God's love for them. We would love to connect with you when you are ready. Go ahead and scroll down and you can click ask a question, ask for prayer. Maybe you could find out how you could get here on a Sunday evening to join us live but we would love just to be a part of your journey in discovering God's love. When you're ready, we would love to see you in person. Until then, why don't you go ahead and click subscribe so you can be updated on Cross Creek's most recent messages. Thanks for joining us. Hey, welcome to Cross Creek. It's good to see you guys. My name is John. I'm the lead pastor here, and we're just so glad that all of you are here. Uh, if, this is, if you're new here, am I, I still got the reverb on? I know it sounds like I'm on a mountain speaking to the crowds, but now it's done. Oh well, it's fun while it lasted. Hey, uh, it's good to see you. If this is your, if you're new, we are just so glad you're here. Uh, we want to kind of get to know you in the easiest way we could possibly think of. So we have a microphone up here that I'm just kidding. Um, wouldn't that be terrible? In the seat in front of you, in one of the seats in front of you, there should be a card that says welcome on it. It's a red welcome card. You fill that out, some really easy information about yourself, and then after the service, you can go to the table in the lobby where there's a big sign that says info, that's our info table, and you can hand that card to the person behind the table, and they will give you a free gift, and we just want to give you a gift because God loves to give, and so we kind of want to be like him and give gifts. So if you could do that, that would be great. If you're watching online, thank you for watching wherever you are, whenever you are. We call it Cross Creek On Demand because not everybody can be here on a Sunday. And so we want people to be able to be a part of what Cross Creek is doing whenever they can do it. So uh, you're joining us for a great Sunday, part three of a series that we're calling Accepted. And the reason, uh, let me explain why we're calling it Accepted. We're exploring this idea Uh, this idea that people who were nothing like Jesus, people who were completely different than what Jesus was like, loved being around Jesus. Like people who, who who would never step foot in a church, people who might watch church online, but they're a little scared to come in person, they're nothing like Jesus, loved being around Jesus. And so the question was, why? Why do they love being around Jesus? Because he accepted them. He accepted them. Often when we hear the word accepted, we think agree with everything they think and do. That's impossible. That's not really what accepted means. Accepted means that I see you as a person worthy of value and honor. I see you. I see you as a person, an individual, and you are worthy of value and honor. And that's how Jesus treated people. And so the last two weeks, we've been going through this idea. Uh, we saw that Jesus accepts cur- the, those who are curious. You're like, hey, there's something about you, but I want to know more. He accepts the questions. Hey, so what about this? What about that? Last week we saw that he accepts skeptics. You know, there's something about you, but I, I don't know about that. The whole rising from the dead, I don't know. He accepts people like that. He says, I see you as a person worthy of value and honor. Come ask your questions. No question is too scary for Jesus. So this week, we're going to talk about something. Well, if you're new, let's just, I should do that. If you're new and a friend has invited you, this is the topic they were hoping I wasn't going to teach on, okay? This is the topic they're like, okay, as long as he doesn't talk about money and what I'm going to talk about, we'll be good. So what I'm going to talk about tonight, do not blame your friend for this. I didn't tell anybody what we were talking about tonight. Um, They might regret their invitation. Not every week is like this, they might say, and that's probably true because today, my friends, get ready for it. Today, we're talking about sin. Oh. And sin is not always a fun thing, but you know, to lighten the load a little bit, to make it a little maybe a little safer, I want, to, I want to do something fun. So I'm going to invite three men up. They already know who they are, so they can come on up. And we're going to have a little fun first. Because, you know, I want to trick you into thinking sin is okay to talk about. I guess I shouldn't have told you that. So these guys, whether you know it or not, this is, this is Nate Moody. I'm not short. He's abnormally tall. This is Nate Moody. This is Aaron Fiedler, and this is Ken Silva. And these guys, along with um, Luke Summers, who is our band director, are actually our executive leadership team here at the church. So that whole Safe Spaces campaign that we're doing to raise money for the parking lot, I said, hey, we need a new parking lot. Let's raise $5,000, $10,000. And they said, that's lame. Let's raise 15 and give 5000 to a foster care organization. And I said, okay, good job. So this is, this, this is for you. So this is our ex- executive leadership team. And since they're all guys, I call them fellows. So they are our executive leadership fellows. E-L-Fs. These are our elves. You guys like that, don't you? Okay. So we're going to play a game called, Are You a Sinner? I'm going to stand over here. <laughs> so we're going to ask you a few questions and you only have to write yes or no. Nate, right now yours says on, but it's actually should be no. Yeah, it's yes or no. So we'll ask you a question. All you have to do is answer yes or no. Okay. Good. All right. Nate, you're the only one who didn't wear your sweatshirt. Okay, have you... Wait, there's supposed to be music right now, isn't there? There you go. Okay, here's the first question. Have you ever cheated on a test? Your whole life ever cheated on a test, Aaron? Oh, good job. Okay, so far, good. Okay, next question. Have you ever... Have fallen asleep in church? Not yet. <laughs> let me, let me, refer. have you ever fallen asleep in this church? Nice. Just so you know, there's always one every Sunday, and I know who you are. Have you ever lied to your kids, Dad? <laughs> no? All right, Dad, we'll see. That's my dad, by the way. Have you ever kept arguing with your wife even though you knew she was right? (laughs) I know. That's, we've all done it. All right, next question. Have you ever ignored a text or a call from John? (laughs) Yeah. I knew it. In fact, you ignored an email from me about doing this game. I, have you ever, and Nate, this might be scary for you now. I think one of your um, supervisors is here. But Nate, have you ever called in sick when you were hungover? Good job. You guys just go to work anyway. <laughs> have you ever pretended to be asleep so you wouldn't have to take care of the baby or the kids. <laughs> I've never done that, just so you know. I think we have one or two more. Have you ever been arrested? Whew, okay. And have you ever lied during this game? Hey! Good job, thank you very much. appreciate it. Thank you, uh, you bunch of sinners. So we'll be, um, if you're interested, we'll be uh, having interviews for new executive leadership team members. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. So sin, I know you were safe for a while, but isn't that a fun word? Isn't that great? She's like, man, I am so glad I got to come to the sin message. It's a weird word. It's this weird religious word. Like, you don't use it normally. We've talked about this before if you've been here before. Um, it's not like you go to your, your coworker who turned in their assignment late or whatever, and they're like, you've sinned against me. Right? It's a word we use in religion. It's a religious word, and it usually brings up one of three responses, sometimes a mix. And whether, I think whether you know, you're a Jesus follower or not, by the way, if, if you're checking out Christianity, if you're checking out what this Jesus thing is, you wouldn't call yourself a church person or a Jesus follower right now. We made this church for you. You are in the right place. You are watching the right message online. But whether you're a Jesus follower or not, when we bring up the word sin, usually has one of three one of three feelings. First one is, I don't care, right? You call me a sinner, I don't care. We're going to talk about that next week, okay? I don't think there's, there's a note if you're taking notes. This is more like for me. So, I don't care. Bring up sin. Another one, anger, right? Sin brings up this feeling of, of anger. How dare you? You don't know me. You don't know what I've been through, How dare you say that I am a sinner, that I've sinned. Yeah, I might have made mistakes, but I'm not as bad as, you know, those guys that were on stage. (laughs) Or shame. Bring up sin. And the first thing you think is, you're right. I am a sinner. I am horrible. In fact, you don't even know the half of it. There's this cloud of shame that I feel just follows me wherever I go. Usually it's a mix of those, those last two, right? Anger and shame. How dare you call me a sinner? Because I do that enough to myself. I beat myself up enough. I can't handle somebody else telling me how horrible I am, how terrible I am. And however we respond to this word sin or sinner, we usually agree on one thing. We usually agree that if there is a God, if there is a God, he definitely does not accept sinners right? I mean, they've broken the rules. He's God. He made the rules. Sinners, that you're a sinner because you've broken the rule. God doesn't accept sinners. He condemns them to hell, right? That's what we've all, that's what we've been taught. That's why there's a hell, for the sinners. So how does he accept? He doesn't accept them. And we say, you know, maybe I'm not that bad, right? Like, I'm not as bad as them, but some people really are bad, and they do not deserve to be accepted by God. That's, exa- that's not a new feeling. It's not something new that just the, you know, the church brought on or whatever. That's exactly how people thought in Jesus' day, too. And except it was worse. It was institutionalized. See, there were, there were people who were in. They were called the righteous. And there are people who were out. And they were called sinners. And the righteous people even had rules about eating with, associating, or even touching sinners. In fact, if a if a righteous person touched a sinner, then they they were unclean until they washed all the all the sinner ickiness off of them. That's how institutionalized it was. They had different laws and different codes and different rituals for separating themselves. Sinners in in ancient um, in ancient Israel were kicked out of synagogues. They were barely considered a Jew. But the worst of sinners were tax collectors. Here's why. See, these were Jews who were working for Romans. The Romans had conquered Israel, and now they were, you know, having their, the way the Romans did, had their iron fist over the whole area. And the tax collectors, who were, they were Jewish people. They were working for these Romans, for these oppressors, for the empire that had subjugated their people. And so they collected a certain amount of money for Rome, collecting the taxes. But they could collect as much as they wanted. As long as the people didn't rebel, the tax collectors could collect as much money as they wanted, and they got to keep the difference. And they got super rich off of it because they had the Roman soldiers there to help enforce their rules. So if you didn't pay how much the tax collector said, well, here comes you know a few, hundred, a few hundred Roman soldiers knocking down your door against their own people. And so because they weren't allowed in synagogues, Because they weren't allowed in the religious life, because they were traitors to their people, they were separated from their people, from their heritage. They were separated from their God. And everyone, including the sinners, knew there was no way God accepted sinners. Everyone knew God hated sinners until Jesus came. Everyone was positive God hated sinners until Jesus showed up. Everyone agreed on it. Even the sinner said, no, God doesn't accept me. Until a man who claimed to be pure righteousness in a body started touching unclean people, started eating with these unclean, dirty sinners. And Jesus not only hung out with these people, and they not only liked him, He accepted them, and he enjoyed them. Like, he enjoyed being with them. He sought them out to hang out with them. And so a perfect example of this, of this um, change in the way people saw how God saw sinners, comes from the story that we find in one of the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life that we call the Gospel of Matthew. It's actually just an eyewitness historical record written by one of Jesus' disciples named Matthew. See, Matthew knew how bad tax collectors were because Matthew was one. Matthew starts out as a tax collector. And the, the passage we're going to look at tonight is actually kind of an autobiography that Matthew wrote about how he met Jesus, how his life was changed by Jesus. And what's interesting really, really quick about why I believe that this is actual historical account besides going through the dates of the manuscripts and all that kind of thing, the gospel of Matthew is the gospel that talks the most about finances, the the gospel that talks most about money and makes details about who was carrying the money and how much they paid for this and that that type of thing, something you would expect a former tax collector to include in his eyewitness account of Jesus' life. Isn't that cool? Anyway, that's, that's, if you want to nerd out with me, we can talk about that later. But here's, here's what we're going to see tonight. Here's what this, this autobiography, basically, of Matthew shows us, that Jesus' acceptance is appallingly offensive because it is unbelievably inclusive. Jesus' acceptance is appallingly offensive, and we'll talk about that, and you might get offended, because it is unbelievably Inclusive. So what we're going to look at, like I said, is a passage from Matthew, Matthew chapter 9, starting at verse 9. If you have a Bible, you can turn there or you can use your app or you can, everything's going to be on screen for you so you can follow along with us. But let's see this idea of Jesus and sinners and tax collectors and and how Matthew kind of puts the moment he knew his life would be different forever. So verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, there is, uh, maybe you've heard the story of Jesus was teaching, and he was in this house, and it was totally packed, and these guys came with their friend who couldn't walk, and they made a hole in the ceiling, and they lowered him down, and Jesus was like, hey, awesome, you can't walk, but your sins are forgiven, and everybody got mad that he could, said he could forgive sins, and he's like, oh, you don't believe I can forgive sins? Okay, well, get up and walk, and he starts walking, and everybody gets, everybody's like, whoa, and the religious leader's are like, kill him, and... Check it out, Matthew nine. Read it for yourself. All right. As Jesus went from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. And nobody could believe it. I think the reason that it's so quick and short is because everybody was so stunned they didn't say anything. Right? It happens so quick. Matthew's like, oh, okay, and he just goes. No doubt, Jesus' disciples had some serious feelings about this. The the disciples that we we talked about in week one, John and Andrew, these guys were were, um, devout, religious, Jewish guys. We find them, they're already disciples of John the Baptist, and then they, they grab onto Jesus. I think they have some feelings about Jesus saying, hey, sinner, come hang out with us. They've been taught since they were little boys that you don't hang out with those people. Their moms will not be happy about this. (laughs) And then Jesus has a disciple named Simon the Zealot. Not Simon Peter, that's a different Simon. But Simon the Zealot, who most likely was a freedom fighter against the Romans before he started following Jesus. So you got this guy who completely sold his people out to Rome, Matthew. You got Simon the Zealot over here, and now they're going to get to hang out for three years. (laughs) They have some serious questions, I would think. And look at this. Matthew hadn't asked to follow Jesus. He wasn't like, Jesus, you know, I, I'm sorry. I want to I follow you. I wanna, whatever it takes, I want to be, be one of your people. Matthew didn't say anything. He didn't say, Lord, forgive me, for I have sinned. Jesus initiated this. He actually pursued Matthew. He purposely walked by his booth as a, as a way to say, hey, follow me, follow me. The same words he used for all the other disciples. Meaning not just like walk behind me and you know, see what I do, but be one of my main guys. Be one of the 12 guys. Out of all the billions of people in the entire history of the world, there's gonna be 12 that follow me. Matthew, you get to be one of them. You get to be one of the main guys in bringing God's kingdom to the earth and it gets worse, or better, depending on, you know, what, what side you're on here. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees, the, re, the religious leaders, saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher, let me do it, when I, when I read the kids' storybook Bible, this is how the Pharisees talk. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? you don't want to be a Pharisee. See, the ultimate sign of acceptance in that culture was sharing a meal with somebody, was going to their house. Remember Nicodemus, we talked about that um, last week, how he went to see Jesus at night because he didn't want people to see him associating with Jesus. He didn't want to kind of give him legitimacy yet. So being, a, being seen with somebody in their home, eating a meal is like, I am one of you. I am with you. You are my people. I accept you. I publicly accept accept you. We are friends. And the Pharisees say, there's no way this Jesus guy, maybe he's a good teacher, maybe, you know, he's done some miracles, but there's no way he's from God. Our rules forbid eating with sinners. And Jesus is thinking, exactly, your rules forbid you from eating with sinners. Let's go on. On hearing this, which is, you know, for the Pharisees, it never turns out well when they When it starts this way. On hearing this, Jesus said, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. He says, Pharisees, you think you are righteous. Like that's your title you've given yourself is the righteous one. You think you're righteous, you think you are healthy you've followed all the rules, you've done all the rituals perfectly, but you've missed the big picture. You have your religion, you're so good at it, but you missed what that religion was supposed to point you to, was supposed to instill in you. And so he says, go and learn, meaning like, hey, you guys who spent your entire life studying the ancient Jewish scriptures, you pride yourself on your knowledge of the Jewish scriptures, Go and learn what the prophet Hosea said when he wrote, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I mean, you've missed it. You think you know it all. This has been here the whole time. God told your ancestors hundreds of years ago, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So go and learn what that means. You've missed what all those rules and rituals point to. No one can keep them. No one can keep the rules. The rules weren't there to make you better. It's to show you that everyone is separated and sick. Everyone needs restoration and healing. And God wants to offer you that, Pharisees. He wants to offer you mercy and forgiveness and for you to offer the same to others. That's why he gave you this position. That's why you've studied this. That's why he gave you the scriptures to change your heart towards people. But all you do is judge. All you do is trick yourself into thinking you're not that bad. You assume, and you know what that does, you assume you're healthy. You've deluded yourselves into thinking you can be good enough to earn God's love. Like, oh, look, God, I, you know, I washed the proper way. And God's like, oh, my gosh. You're in. <laughs> I mean, like, the water fell perfectly. And they had this way of washing, so the water fell perfectly down. The, wow! you controlled water. Awesome. See, here's the thing. God's love is not something to earn. God's love is something to accept. You can't earn God's love. If you have kids, can your kids earn your love? Or do they just have to accept it and rest in it and trust you in it? See, God's love is not something to earn. It's something we get to accept. And Jesus says, in fact, still talking to the Pharisees, in fact, in trying to keep your deluded self-righteousness going, you have pushed away the people God has been trying to reach. The people that that Jesus says, I came for. You've set yourselves above them to make yourselves feel more secure. Just a moment. Just a moment. See, Pharisees, you say, at least, you know, at least I'm not as bad as them. And Jesus says, no, you're not as bad as them. You're worse. They admit that they are separated, but you stubbornly refuse to see your own sickness. Now, before you get all excited, like, yeah, give it to them, Jesus. Get those religious guys. I got to ask you a couple questions. Now, usually, if, you, if you've come here a few times, maybe you've heard me say, hey, I'm going to ask you some questions, but you're safe. Nobody knows what's going on inside your head. This is just you and God, you know. If you believe there's a God, you're totally safe. But I'm not going to say that tonight because these aren't safe questions. So, again, I'll apologize to your friend later. These aren't safe questions. Let me ask you a couple questions if you kind of grew up in the church and you consider yourself a church person or maybe even a Jesus follower, let me ask you this. And really think through it. Don't just like read through this story and like, oh yeah, I've heard that, you know. How comfortable are you with the fact that Jesus called Matthew to be one of his disciples before talking about his sin, before talking about repentance, How comfortable are you with the fact that Jesus said, you can be one of the guys that is going to create the church that brings hope to the world before even having him change his life? Saying, you are worthy to lead this entire thing, and he never even talks about it. It's not recorded anywhere that Jesus brings up Matthew's past sin. It's like, well, you got to repent first, Now, maybe this is an all play. This is for everybody. If you were Matthew, and you're sitting there, and Jesus says, follow me. Be one of my guys. Be one of the people that's going to tell the world how much God loves them. If you were were Matthew, are there things in your past, maybe in your present, that would make you think you should turn down the invitation? Well, no, I can't. I mean, you... Jesus, remember what I remember that. I mean, it was it was it was just yesterday. Follow, follow, be your guy. Follow you, or maybe there's there's things you wouldn't want Jesus to find out, because then he'd say, "No, you're not in." See, when we see Jesus accept people who we don't think deserve it, it's appallingly offensive. But it's that unbelievable inclusion that really is our only hope. See, because the truth is, we are all sinners. We are all sinners, and that is offensive. And if you're not offended right now, it's because you've been in church too long. We are all sinners. None of us deserve, none of us are good enough to be accepted and included because we have all sinned. And when I say sinned, you might have all these different ideas. What what really sin is, is what we call breaking the law of love. Jesus was asked, what are God's top laws? And Jesus said, love God with everything you are, your time, your money, your, your devotion. Love God with everything you are, And love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor. Put yourself under your neighbor. Your job is to serve your neighbors, people around you. We have all broken that in some way. Another another way to define sin is basically this, saying what I want is more important than you. Putting your wants above someone else. We've all done that in some way. We have all broken the law of love and this idea that we're all sinners the reason it's offensive is because most of us have given into in, given into the delusional self-righteousness that ah eh, we're not that bad. Yeah, I'm not that bad. I mean there's a part of us whoever we are whether we're church people or not there's a part of us that like the Pharisees says I'm not as bad as those sinners. But you know you know those people I'm not as bad as them. You know, I, yeah, you know, I, I'm not, I don't, I've made mistakes, sure. And so we don't, we, we substitute the word sin, I've sinned for, and we've talked about this, mistake, right? But what do you call, what, I mean, a mistake in math, you make a mistake in math, you erase the number, and you, and you fix it, right? You move on. You didn't do it on purpose, it just kind of happened, you weren't paying attention. But what do you call a mistake you do on purpose, over and over, when you know it hurts somebody else, that's a sin. It's a sin. You can't just go back and fix it. It has happened, right? We're not mistakers. We are sinners. I mean, maybe you are, you know, maybe you're better than the guys who are leading this church. Maybe you only lie once a day. Just a little white lie to your kids because, you know, they want snack time, but no. Or they hear the ice cream truck, they hear the music, and they're like, what's that? And you're like, it's the nap time, Man right? I know parents that have done that. <laughs> yeah, that was my dad. <laughs> so one, one little lie a day, no big deal. maybe one judgmental thought a day. You're driving in Salem, somebody cuts you off, as always happens, and you have a judgmental thought, right? Because at least you don't drive that way. So one lie a day, one, one judgmental thought a day. You get angry when you shouldn't one time a day. So three, three times a day you make mistakes, you sin three times a day. For 10 years, and I did the math earlier, Nate. If you do that, you know, three sins a day for 10 years, that's 10,950 sins. You're not that bad. Well, let's say, you know, 80 years. Three sins a day for 80 years. 292,000 sins. But they're just little, little ones, right? Well, what's worse going to the bank and stealing $292,000 or embezzling $3 a day for 80 years to $292,000. They're just as bad, aren't they? You've stolen the same amount of money. You are a thief if you do that. Just like if you sin three times a day, you are a sinner. And we don't want to admit that, right? We don't want to admit that we're sinners because then we're exposed then there's nowhere to hide. Yes, I'm a sinner. If you admit that, well, then here comes the punishment, right? The the lightning is about to come. But listen, and if if you're sleeping, because I know, you know, that happens, wake up. If you're watching online and you are checking out Facebook, come back, listen to this. God doesn't hate you because you're a sinner. God doesn't hate you because you're a sinner. God hates sin because he loves you and sin hurts you. God hates sin because he loves you so much and sin hurts you. Sin destroys, sin kills. Whenever there is sin, there is death, there is separation. See, sin destroys relationships, destroys relationships with other people. It destroys relationships with your God. It destroys your relationship with yourself. You can't look at yourself in the mirror. You can't be alone with your own thoughts at nighttime because sin destroys, and God hates that. He loves you. He is for you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to heal you. He wants to restore you. But in order for that to happen, we have to recognize that we are sinners, right? You have to acknowledge you're sick before the doctor can heal you, before you're willing to take the medicine. You have to agree with the doctor that there is a problem. See, there's no ultimate healing without the removal of sin. There's no ultimate healing without the removal of sin. It's like cancer right? You can, you can remove some of it or, or help, the, help the symptoms, but unless you eradicate it, unless you get rid of it all, it's still there. It's still affecting you. It's still making you sick. You have to eradicate the sin in order to truly have healing, but there's a problem. Where's all this sin coming from? Who's, who's making all this sin happen? You are. I am. So, God hates sin, wants to get rid of it, but loves you, doesn't want to destroy you. And so, He made a way to destroy sin without destroying you. Jesus. See, it's the whole point. Jesus took our punishment on the cross, our punishment for all the people that we've hurt. He took our punishment, and then He rose from the dead proving that he has the power to destroy sin and its ultimate effect, death. He has the power to give us new life. Jesus's death and resurrection is the cure, the only cure. See, the cure isn't just sinning less, right? Just like cancer, it always grows. Even if you have a little bit, it grows, and it's not just cleaning up the outside and, you know, going through the rituals, making sure you come every Sunday and, and you read your, that's not, see, that's what the Pharisees were trying to do is try to be clean on the outside. Well, Jesus said you're clean on the outside, but inside you're rotten tombs, which is gross. Jesus was gross. <laughs> see, it's not, it's not trying to sin less. It's not trying to do all the religious things. It's trusting that, it's, it's acknowledging that you're not a mistaker, You are a sinner that needs what everyone needs, forgiveness. It's trusting that Jesus' death paid the penalty of your sin and his resurrection destroyed its power over you. It's trusting Jesus to heal you, to restore you to a perfect relationship with your heavenly father, to give you new life, and then loving others the way he loved you. And restoring and healing relationships with them. See, forgiveness restores and heals relationships, and it's something we all need. Forgiveness restores and heals relationships, and it's available to everyone. It's unbelievably inclusive, and Matthew experienced this firsthand. This passage, like I said, is an autobiography of one of the worst sinners who experienced true love and unbelievable acceptance? It's the true story of God pursuing those who have been pulled away by sin and pushed away by the self-righteous. And Jesus' acceptance changed his life forever. And it can change yours too. So you might be asking, how? How can it change my life? How do I how do I get started in this? How do I accept the acceptance? First, admit what you already know and what we already know. You're not a mistaker, you're a sinner. We all are. You're not a mistaker. You did it on purpose, you're a sinner. You're not admitting anything your spouse doesn't already know. So admit you're a sinner. Ask, and Then ask for and accept God's healing and forgiveness. It's that simple. Admit that you're a sinner and then ask for and accept God's forgiveness through Jesus. And then if you want to go the extra step, I didn't put this on here, we can write it down, offer it to others. Offer that love and acceptance to others. And don't tell them it's because you're a nice person. Tell them it's because Jesus changed your life. That's why you can offer it to others. And if you want that life, if you want that forgiveness if you want that acceptance there's no magic prayer there's no you know ritual of chickens and goats and things like that just tell him tell God yes I am a sinner I know I am a sinner thank you for sending Jesus to die for me I accept his payment I accept your forgiveness come into my life make me new I want to be yours it's that simple it's that easy If that's something you want to do, we can talk about that afterward. If that's something, you can do it in your head right now. We just ask, fill out a card that says connect and let us know what happened so that we can walk you through it. So we can say, hey, that's awesome. Here's here's your next step. You know, here's how to grow in that. Here's how to really really understand what's going on. Jesus' acceptance is appallingly offensive to those who don't think they need it but it's unbelievably inclusive to those who know they do need it. And we're all invited to experience true healing and restoration. We're invited to experience it, but are we willing to admit we need it? Jesus accepts you. Jesus loves you. Jesus is for you. If he wasn't for you, he wouldn't have died for you. Jesus accepts and pursues sinners like you, like me, like Matthew. I'm going to pray, and as I do, I'm going to invite the band up, because we've got to finish on a song tonight, I think. So I'm going to invite the band up. They're going to set up, but let's all pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that you accept a sinner like me, that you pursue sinners, that you died for sinners. Lord, thank you for your offer of forgiveness. Thank you for the power to make us new. I pray that you give us the courage to admit what we already know, what you already know, that we are sinners, and to accept what you freely give, forgiveness and acceptance and love and belonging. Thank you for everything you are doing and everything you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing one more song.